Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, thank you guys. Hello, everybody. It's good to be back home. First time anybody's ever clapped for me, so I appreciate it. Appreciate that as well. Andrew wanted me to come dressed as a Los Angeles pastor. Uh, he was going to pick out the clothes and everything. There was going to be skinny jeans, uh, a shirt with hose all in it, and tennis shoes without socks. The problem was uh, the skinny jeans just didn't fit the contour of my body uh, very well. And it's too cold to wear a shirt with hose or shoes without socks right now. And uh, so I didn't quite come that way. Uh, I did preach once when I was there, and I just wore a dress shirt and slacks, and everybody said, why are you so dressed up? Nobody dresses like that uh, here at church. It is good to be back, though. Missed you all a lot. The best thing uh, about being gone is I didn't have to worry about anything. I knew that Josh Miles was going to do a great job. I didn't have to worry about anything going on on Sunday morning. I knew David at Loling was going to do fantastic uh, when he spoke as well. And just having that kind of confidence uh, was really, really good. And so I appreciate it. Uh, I was going to show you some slides of, of our vacation and, and our renewal time, but, but I spared you from that. Okay, so uh, I did want to talk about one thing that, that we did while we were there, though, that Andrew and I did. And even when I did it, Doug Beatty, I thought of you, okay? So I want you to know that even uh, when we were gone, I was thinking about Doug Beatty. Um, <laughs> The number one high school team in the nation is in California, and they were playing the team ranked second in California high school, and they were playing about five minutes from where we were staying. And and Andrew said, we need to go to that game. And so we go to the game, and I'm telling you, it's filled with unbelievable players. The team, Sierra Canyon, is ranked number one in the nation at that point. They ended up losing that game. Their front line is 7'6", 6'11". They have Scotty Pippen Jr., Kenyon Martin Jr., and, and players like that, and they're not even the best player on the team. Cassius Stanley is the 15th best player in the nation. The other team they're playing, Rancho Christian, had a player that's the number one ranked player next year in 2020 and a McDonald's All-American uh, from this year. And so I wanted to show you 60 seconds of highlights of this ball game. And this is what I want you to look at. This is a high school game. Look at how big these kids are. Look at how they're playing and dunking. And look how far they're shooting shots. And this is just about 60 seconds. It's just the first half highlights of the Rancho Christian Sierra Canyon game.
Now, this is what I want you to know about that basketball game. Some of the best players in the nation. The highest ranked player that played was, well, there's number one in next year's class, was 15th in the nation. Then they had the 24th best player, the 44th best player, the 67th best player. These are some of the best players in the nation. But they weren't the top 10 superstars. They're really, really, really good. And even teams like Kentucky and Louisville are going to be trying to recruit the 27th best player in the nation. But they're not the Zion Williamson superstar. No matter how good they may have seen in those clips. And so what I want you to know is sometimes when it comes to God, we see God as really, really good. But we don't understand that God is something different than our view of good. God is a superstar on a level that we've never even imagined. God is something that the scriptures describe as holy. And the word holy means different, set apart, above, totally unique in every way. And that's the God that we worship. The problem is we very seldom see God as that separate, that different, that higher, that great, that powerful. And it affects the way we see and do everything. So for the next four weeks, we're starting a sermon series called Superstar, where we're going to be talking about the holiness of God and how we can better understand it and how it will make all the difference in our life when we do. We're going to be over in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, if you want to look over to that. Now, what's taken place up to this time is that Moses has come back to Egypt. You've had the ten plagues of Egypt. The Egyptians have been brought to their knees. They let the Israelites, their slaves, leave. They're now going to the promised land. They've gotten to the Red Sea. And when they get to the Red Sea, Pharaoh has a change of heart. His whole country is destroyed. His own son has lost his life. And Pharaoh decides, we're going to kill these former slaves. And so he mobilizes his entire army. He pursues the Israelites, and he catches them right at the Red Sea. The Israelites have nowhere to go. They have the Egyptians on one side. They have the sea on the other side. And when they look up, they see the entire army of Egypt angry, Coming down at them. And that's where we pick up in our scripture passage in Exodus chapter 14. And the first thing we see is this. The way you view God says how much you're going to trust him. The way you view God says how much you're going to trust him when life falls apart. Look down in our scripture passage to verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, was it, th- was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So the Israelites look up, there's the army of Pharaoh, angry, coming down at them, no way to escape, the most powerful army in the world, and Israel has no army at all. They're former slaves who have left their captivity. None of them are soldiers, they have zero weapons, and they're trying to to look up at the most mighty army in the world coming down. And so in verse 10, we're told they were terrified. Who thinks that shows a lack of faith? I would be terrified. 
Wouldn't you? If you looked up and you had no weapons, an entire army was charging down the hill at you, I would certainly be terrified. So that's a natural emotion. They're terrified when they see the Egyptians. And then they do the right thing in verse 10. We're told they're not only terrified, they cry out to the Lord. Now, whenever we're terrified, whenever life overwhelms us, whenever we see an Egyptian army coming upon us, the best thing that we can always do is to cry out to the Lord. But here's the thing. The way we cry out to the Lord always takes behind a back seat to how we view God in the first place. And what we're going to see is the way the Israelites view God meant that they had very little trust in him when the Egyptian army came down. So they're terrified, they cry out to God, but their faith wasn't the kind of faith they needed when this kind of an event happened. For most of the people in Israel, they had a second-hand faith. They'd been slaves for 430 years in Egypt. And now suddenly they've received their freedom. They didn't know how to be free people. Uh, a lot of them didn't know a lot about this God they were worshiping. Uh, they they kind of lost a lot of the, the, the worship and the teachings of God over 430 years. Moses shows up, tells them the God of their fathers is going to rescue them. They see the plagues. They believe God is powerful. They believe God has rescued them. But they really don't know God personally. They've seen his works. They know about him. But they really don't have him in their hearts. He's not their God with their heart abandoned. And so they don't know if they can really trust this God, even if he is a God of power. And so that's why after being terrified in verse 11, we're told the first thing they do is they blame the person who has the personal relationship with God. We don't really know this God, they say in verse 11. So they blame Moses and they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? We wish we were still slaves. At least as slaves would have been alive. Now we're going to all die here. So yes, they've cried out to the Lord. But the very next thing they say is, we really don't believe this God loves us or cares for us or we're not personal with him. And so the guy who's told us about this God, that's who we're going to blame. And so they begin to yell talk to Moses and say, it's all your fault. We didn't want to leave in the first place. A lot of us are like the Israelites. We have a secondhand faith. We might come to church every single Sunday, might give your money, might even show up at a Bible study, volunteer every once in a while. But you're here because your parents brought you. You're here because your spouse makes you come when you don't want to come. You're here because it's just the way you were raised, and so you've done it even after you've left home. But there's never really been anything where it became your faith. And what happens is if it's not really your faith personally, if it's a secondhand faith from your parents or your spouse or your friends, then when the Egyptian army comes bearing down on you and you're terrified, you don't really know if that God's there. You don't really know if you can trust him. Because you've never put yourself in that kind of position to be vulnerable with him in the first place. You've never had a personal faith with him. Probably most of you know the name Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, the the actor, uh, he actually had a very troubled childhood growing up. Very angry young man for a lot of different reasons. Uh, He got put in jail when when he was in his late teens uh, for several hate crimes, uh, including the severe beating of a Vietnamese refugee. And uh, he said that when he was in jail, he decided, man, my, my life's all messed up. My mom and dad believe in this God thing. And so God helped me. 
And so he said for the next 20 years, he kind of believed in his parents' God. And his parents' God helped him. And he got out of trouble. He got into singing, then acting, made a whole lot of money. And God was always the God who was there to help him, his mom and dad's God. And he said about 10 years ago, he had some things go on in his life. And he realized that's just not good enough. It's not good enough for me to have a God that I just want to help me all the time. I want to know who is this God? What's this God expect from me? How was I supposed to be living And Mark Wahlberg said, when I made him my God, it changed everything about my life. One of the first things he did was go find the person that he had beaten, that Vietnamese refugee, 20 years before, and sit down with him and say, I'm not the same person. And my heart breaks because of what I did to you, and I'm so very, very sorry. And he said, the man looked at him and said, I never held it against you. I forgave you the day after. And Mark Wahlberg said, that just began to change everything in his heart. And he said, now I don't even take the kind of movies I used to take before. You know, I only take movies that I think are going to have a positive influence that I'd want my kids to see. He said, it's all about helping people and realizing it's not about me, it's about God. That's what happens when it becomes a personal faith instead of a secondhand faith. Well, now Moses was the one with a personal faith. But we see as we go on in our scripture, Moses too had some issues. Look down as, as we continue in our, in our scripture passage, uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, well, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So Moses says everything right. He tells them, don't be afraid. God's going to fight for you. God's going to deliver you. Now, Moses says it all. It's all right. But guess what? There's an army bearing down upon them. And Moses is terrified too. Does it surprise you that when an entire army is coming down upon defenseless people uh, without any weapons, that even a person of God might be terrified? So Moses is a little afraid too. And we see Moses being a little terrified in the very next verse. Look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move forward. So Moses tells the people, everything's okay. Then he goes to God and he goes, help. And God says, why are you whining and calling out to me? Move forward. What's the problem with moving forward? There's an ocean there. You know, there's no cruise ship to get on, you know, as they're going there. So there's a problem. So Moses is coming and he's just as terrified. Now, Moses didn't have this problem, but a second problem a lot of us often have is we have a buddy theology with God. God's our buddy. I'm God's friend. He loves me. He takes care of me. He's my friend. He's my buddy. Now, we need a God that we believe is personal and is our friend, and he does offer us that friendship. But if all you have is a buddy God, when the Egyptians are bearing down upon you, you're going to wonder if that buddy is going to really help you or not. Uh, You know, they even make figures today. Buddy Christ got a picture of Buddy Christ right here that that you can pick up. You know, Buddy Christ says, yo, you know, man, I'm your friend. You know, I'm right there with you. Buddy Christ is cool until the Egyptian army comes after you. Then you wonder if you need more than Buddy Christ. When we lived in Virginia, there was a flood that came through town and 
And uh, one of the guys came, had this industrial pump. He's going to pump out the basement of the church. And he was setting it up. And he said, hey, Chip, come over here and help me. I wanted to show you something about this pump. And I, and I come over and he says, he said, this is a hydraulic pump. And the way it works is, and he looked at me for a second. He goes, <laughs> Don, come here. Let me tell you about this pump. And I said, what? I'm your friend. We go to lunch together. I'm your buddy. But he didn't think Buddy Chip was going to be able to help him with his hydraulic pump as he was putting it in at that point. He thought there was kind of a limit to my ability and skill in some of those areas. Well, sometimes that's how we feel about God. If God's just your buddy, you're going to be wondering, can I really trust him to be a God of power when the Egyptians come upon me? And that brings us to the second thing we see in our scripture. When life hits us hard, you need more than a buddy. When life hits you hard, you need more than a buddy. So Moses goes to God. He says, help. You know, uh, I've told him you're going to save him. Now you need to do something because it's bad. You know, they're about here. And God says, stop whining, move forward. The problem is there's a sea in front of them. Then look down to verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, raise your staff, stretch your hand over the sea to divide the water, and the Israelites will go through the sea on dry ground. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will go in after you. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horses. So God tells Moses to move forward. There's a sea in their way, but God says, I'm going to dry the ground. I'm going to bring you through. I'm going to do great things. You're going to know I'm the Lord when it's through. Everybody in Egypt is going to know the power and the glory of God. I'm going to have them pursue you even further than now. And then I'm going to destroy the entire army of Egypt. So what God is saying to Moses is, I'm a God of great power, and I'm about to do Some great things right here and right now. When the Egyptian army is bearing down upon you, you need more than a buddy and you need more than a secondhand faith. You need a big, powerful God. And that's what we sometimes miss today. God is so personal. God is so close to us in our theology that we miss the power and the glory and the awesomeness of the Lord God Almighty. But there will come times in your life that you need more than a secondhand faith and a buddy. There will come times in your life when people that you love the most will get sick and there's nothing that you can do about it. There will be times in your life that people that you love and care for are going to die. There will be times in your life that you will lose your job or have financial troubles. Times in your life that your spouse may leave you or your children may go down the wrong path. There will be times in your life that your own health will leave you and having a buddy just isn't enough any longer. You need a God of power and glory. When someone you love with all of your heart has passed away and they're not with you anymore, you don't need a buddy to put their arms around you and tell you it's going to be okay. You need to believe in a God of power and glory that can raise the dead. And that's what we miss in our life so many times. The God of power, the God of glory, the God that is there for us. And so we begin to think that God can only do what we do. 
And that really makes God very impotent if that's all we do. That's what the Greeks believed. The Greeks had a theology where the gods had every flaw that every human being has. From Zeus on down, they were jealous and angry and spiteful. And so these weren't gods that you wanted to emulate or or worship. They were just gods that you feared because they had more power than you did. And sometimes that's how we view our God. We give him all of our, our problems and idiosyncrasies and think God is as angry and jealous and petty as we are. Instead of a God of glory and grace and love and power. And we need that God more and more in the world in which we live. Pick up the newspaper and read all of the problems in the world today. Read problems from terrorism to the economy. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Is everybody crazy out there? I mean, you know, you know quite, quite seriously, the, the way that it is. We need a God of power. We need a God of glory. And having a buddy just isn't enough when the Egyptian army is coming upon you. You know, there's a, a school teacher in uh, Arkansas by the name of Martha Cothran. And she did something really interesting a while back. Her students came into class, and there were no desks in the room and no chairs. Got a picture of Martha uh, right here. She took every one of those desks out, and the kid says, where are our desks? And she said, well, tell me why you have desks and chairs. And they said, to sit in and write on. She goes, no, how'd you get them? And they said, uh... The school system paid for them. No, why are you in the room in the first place? And they said, to learn. And uh, she said, well, you're not getting your desks back until you figure out why you have them. And so all day long, the kids came up with things why they didn't have desks and chairs, and they never could figure it out. And then she said, you have these for one particular reason. Your desks and chairs are in this room for one reason. And then she opened the door, and veterans began to walk in the door carrying desks and chairs and setting them down. And she said, you only have the freedom to come to this school because somebody else paid a price for you to be free. And that's what we need to understand in our life with God. The only reason we sit here isn't that we're good or that we've tried hard, but that we have a God of glory and power who loved us so much he went to the cross and died for us. And that's the only way we're saved. You're never going to be saved by being good. You're never going to be saved by having all the right answers. It's only when you believe in a God that loved you and gave his life for you, a God of power that raised the dead and will forgive your sins and raise you from the dead. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a personal relationship with God. He wants that and we need that. But you can never have the other end gone, the glory of God. And as a matter of fact, if you've ever said the Lord's Prayer, you see those two tensions right together. The Lord's Prayer starts out with what words? Our Father. And the word Father is what in Greek? That, that word, Abba. So the Lord's Prayer starts out with Daddy. Man, there can't be anything more personal and intimate and close. God is my Daddy. God's my buddy. God's my friend. Abba, our Father. What's the very next thing the Lord's Prayer says? Our Father, who is in heaven, your name is holy. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see how both things are involved? Daddy, you're holy, separate, different, and above, and you have all power and glory. If, if you don't know both ends of the one true God, then you're never going to have the kind of faith you should have. He is both personal, and he is also great and mighty. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. God is holy, and he's so much greater 
than we make him out to be. God is holy and he's so much greater than we make him out to be. Look down to verse 21 and see what happens next. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind. He turned it into dry ground. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a water of wall on their right and a water of wall on their left. Okay. I don't know about you. That would have terrified me too. Okay. To walk through seas on both sides, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I, I think I'd have been a little, a little, uh, you know, uh, terrified doing that myself. Uh, Andrew and I toured the Rose Bowl when we were out there, and we went up to the very top of the Rose Bowl. And we found out that the ESPN reporters have the very top thing overlooking. They tether them in with a line, and they hold them over like this to look at the field. And if they ever take the tether off, they're no longer insured by the Rose Bowl. I was terrified just walking up there. I'm against the wall like this, you know, and Andrew's going, Dad, you know, it's okay. There's like 30 feet, and I go... Too close for me, Andrew, you know, fall off and kill myself. Well, if that's terrifying me, I can imagine a wall of water on both sides, what that might have been like. So they go through on dry ground. Verse 23, the Egyptians pursued them and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Second thing, they're stupid. You see God part an entire sea for a people and you think, It's a good idea to follow them into that. That wasn't the brightest thing in the world, so why did they do it? Because the Lord had hardened their hearts. Because he was going to show his glory through them. They'd already shown themselves unrepentant. Now God was going to do a great thing. Verse 25, he jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. That's very interesting to me. You know why? Because people look at the church today and people look at what Christians do today. You know what they say? Man, that's a hardworking church. Or boy, there's some dedicated people. That's not what we need. We need people to do what the Egyptians say. Man, that's a great God. When was the last time God people looked at something your church did or looked at something you were doing and they were so in awe of it, they said, that's a great God. Not they're a hardworking person. We need to be people that are serving a great God with big dreams, not people who are trying to do what we can do and work hard. Keep reading verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hands over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them into the sea. The waters flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites in the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And then look at verse 30. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Israelites, the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him. No longer a second-hand faith. It was now a first-hand personal faith that they'd had with God when they seen God's power and glory. 
We need that kind of God in our life today, a God of power, a God of glory, a God of holiness. As we close, I wanted to read you some portions of chapter 15. What happens in chapter 15 is that Miriam, Moses' sister, composes a song and sings it. And they're so happy at what has happened, they begin to dance and sing. Now, here's the thing. When God is so awesome that Baptists start dancing, it's unbelievable, isn't it? That's the thing. I've seen some of you dance. You could use a few lessons. Okay, that, that's all i got to say. Listen to chapter 15, verse 1. I will sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my defense. The Lord is my salvation. He's my God. I praise him. He's my God. I exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots, his army, he hurled them into the sea. The very best of Pharaoh's officers drowned in the Red Sea. The waters covered them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand has shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. Does this sound like a buddy God to you? This is a God of glory and power and might. When you catch that side of the glory of God, you will look at our world and you will not have nearly the fear you do today. You won't pick up the newspapers and think, man, our world's gone crazy. Is there any hope? Because you'll know there is hope that there's a God of power and glory who's going to come and judge this world and put right every wrong that's in it. When you have problems and troubles hit you that bring you to your knees, you're not going to say, is there any way out of this? Is there any hope? Can I go on? Because you know there's a God of power and glory that is on your side and is going to walk through with you every step of the way. Times will hit you in life where having a buddy or a secondhand faith isn't enough. You need a holy, awesome, almighty God. There's a lady by the name of Annie Lobert. Uh, who has started a ministry called Hookers for Jesus. Got a picture of Annie right here. She has a very interesting story. That's a great book, by the way, if you've never read it, called Fallen. When she grew up, her father was very physically abusive, very violent, very angry. Uh, When she turned 18, the first thing she did was get out of the house as soon as she was able to. Left home, never went back again. Was trying to always find approval for that she didn't get from her father end up becoming a prostitute, was, was sent around the country, used in unbelievable ways, tried to get out of it. Her pimp beat her so bad that she was in the hospital for about a month with a broken jaw, a dislocated eye socket, and broken ribs. Uh, she then contracted cancer in her mid-20s, uh, lost all of her hair in the chemo treatments, and had to continue working as a prostitute. And they began to call her the ball-headed hooker in Las Vegas as she was going through there. Then she got on drugs, first pain medication, then cocaine. And by the time she's in her late 20s, she said, life is no longer worth living. It's nothing but pain. I hate everything about it. She got all the cocaine she could ever buy, and she took it all at one time. And when she was laying in the floor in this haze about to die, she said she prayed this prayer. 
Jesus, I've heard about you. Don't know if you're real. If you are, I want to live and have a better life. If you're not, I want to die and be out of this hell that is life. She woke up two days later in a hospital bed. And the doctor said something very funny to her, she thought. He sat down on the bed and he goes, Woo! Jesus must love you, girl! And she said, Why would you say that? And he said, Nobody in this hospital has ever seen the amount of drugs that you had in your body. And not only are you doing better, you're totally coherent after less than two days. We've never seen anything like it before. And so one of the other doctors said, Jesus must love that girl. And then he turned around and walked out of the room. And she said she began to pray then. Jesus, if you're real, I want to know about you. There was a Gideon Bible in the, in the hospital room. She got the Gideon Bible, started reading it, gave her life to Christ. I said the hardest thing she ever did was go to church. Because she said, I thought everybody was going to judge me for the kind of person I was. And she said, you know what happened? I walked into church and everybody loved me. And I found out there was a God who forgave me, restored me, made me pure. And she said, I prayed to God, Lord, I promise you, I'm never going to go back to that lifestyle. I'm never even going to go to that part of town again. And then when her prayer was over, she felt God saying, sorry, you need to go back to that part of town. And she said, no, God, you know, I'm through with all that. And he said, no, 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 you need to go back and you need to keep going back to that part of town because they're never going to listen to a preacher, but they'll listen to you. And she started a ministry called Hookers for Jesus that has to this date has led over a thousand women out of prostitution and the adult entertainment industry in Las Vegas. She needed more than a buddy. She needed a God of power and glory that takes a broken person and makes them something new. You need more than a buddy. You need the Lord God Almighty. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. I just pray, Lord, that each of us would understand that you're so much more than we make you out to be, Sultanas. You're the God of power and glory and love. And Jesus, I just pray now that, that you would help us to understand that you can do things in our life that we could never imagine. You can part Red Seas when we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation. And the first thing I would say in the invitation is that there's some of you here today who may be going through some of those times in life where you've just really been hit hard. And for you this morning to say, Lord, I need that God that you are, that God of power and glory to encourage me, to strengthen me, to give me hope. And whatever that problem is you have right now, you just turn that over to him, the God of power. Maybe for some of you, you're looking at your life and you're saying, I need to raise it to a different level. I'm I'm disappointed in myself, disappointed in how I'm living You will never have the intestinal fortitude to do it by yourself. You need to finally say, Lord, I can't do it. I need to just give myself to you. And you turn it over and say, Lord of power and glory, work in my life and make me new. 
You may be here today and God has called you to this church and you want to come and join this church and be a part of what we're doing. And I hope you come and do that. And the most important thing you'd ever do is this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, yes, he's personal. Yes, he wants to be your friend, but he's the God of all power and glory. And come and say, I want that God in my life. Accept him as Lord and Savior. Follow him in baptism. But this is your time. Uh, Next week, we'll continue our sermon series. We're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord. Every time God or one of his angels shows up, people are terrified and God says, don't be afraid. So our job is to be terrified. His job is to make us not afraid. Okay, so uh, we'll we'll be talking about that next week, the the fear of the Lord. Don't forget, pancake breakfast going on downstairs. Uh, This section of the church that is not here would love to see you down there. Uh, getting some pancakes. Brother Larry? Okay, come on up, guys. Most of you all already met them, but I want you to meet them again, Dale Bartels and Susan Boyer. Susan is our new church administrator. She started Tuesday, right? Here all day. We broke her in real well. I mean, you know, we we were good to her, though, weren't we? Okay, good, good. So if you haven't met them, please come by and meet them and, and introduce yourself and tell them you're glad that they're a part of Westport Road Baptist Church, the best church in the world. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and for caring for us and for the way you care. Thank you for being an almighty God, a powerful God. Let us see that every day as we worship you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.